I just couldn't believe the amount of flooding on the road this morning coming in. It must have bucketed down rain overnight. Now, welcome into today's programme. 086 38 33 is the text and WhatsApp number. So if you want to put that into your phone, I'll say it very slowly again. So it's 086 38 33 and if you want to win whatever we're giving you a chance to win, including tickets to the Marty Party, that's the number you need to have in your phone. Um, a conference exploring the issues facing migrants experiencing gender-based violence and the supports that are available to them is taking place this morning, uh, the 13th of March, from 10.30am to 4pm. It's taking place in the Harbour Hotel. Mary Henderson from the Immigrant Council of Ireland uh, joins me on the line today. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for welcoming me today. Um, first off, uh, there's two things that struck me when I was reading this last night. First off is the migrant situation. They've been through enough in life, but then experiencing gender-based violence. What exactly is gender-based violence for those that don't know? Um, so gender-based violence is a very broad term that catches any type of violence that is directed at a person arising from their gender identity. So it could range from anything from domestic abuse to forced marriage to um, harassment and assaults in the street in a public context, or it could range up to the very heinous crime of human trafficking where that's directed at people um, for the purposes of sexual exploitation, for example. And human trafficking is very much alive and well, even in this country. Unfortunately, it is. It is something that um, the Immigrant Council has been supporting victims of human trafficking for many years. And we have been making progress in terms of providing access to victims of human trafficking. But sadly, it is a transnational crime. It exists throughout every country in the world. And Ireland is no different in that respect. We've had the stories on this very programme going back a number of years, a long number of years, where people came here with the thought of going into a professional job and ended up indeed in the sex trade or otherwise and being trafficked all over the country and otherwise. Some of them made brave moves with the assistance of the Immigrant Council of Ireland and others and they got themselves out of it. So today at the conference that's starting in approximately 20 minutes in the Harbour Hotel, who would you like to go to that? Or if somebody is listening to this and they find that this is touching a raw nerve, should they go along? Um, I think the conference today is really seeking to bring together both um, experts who are working in the field of delivering services to migrants, but also people who are working in frontline services who would be encountering people who may be experiencing human trafficking or other forms of gender-based violence. So, for example, people who will be working in the frontline services delivering support to women victims of domestic abuse, people who are um, working in refuges or on volunteers perhaps in citizens information centres or family resource centres um, this is who we're hoping to have present at the conference and I think we've got a good audience already who are due to be in attendance and then we also have experts from many of these organisations who are going to be sharing their experience both of delivering services to migrant populations but also in people from migrant communities who are going to be explaining their experience of accessing those services and the barriers that they have faced in doing so. But the barriers we're looking at here would be maybe language, cultural and others as well, but I'm sure language could be a major barrier for people if they don't have any English at all and they're in this country trying to explain themselves. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's it's not just a linguistic barrier. You know, there can be cultural barriers to anybody. I mean, anybody who's experiencing any form of gender-based violence is an extremely vulnerable situation. And it's a well-known fact that reaching out and asking for help is one of the most difficult things that anybody can do when they're experiencing a really difficult life situation. But if the person then is kind of excluded, I suppose, from accessing services, either be it because of their language that they speak or because of um, cultural taboos around discussing their experience of violence or their experience of abuse, or perhaps what is most difficult is when they have a false understanding that there are no supports available to them because they are migrants. Like these are very practical barriers that people face. And as a result of those barriers, migrants' experience of these issues can be kind of exacerbated because of their situation. But what we really want to emphasize is that there are supports available and that there are ways in which migrants can access both mainstream services and then specialized services like the ones that we deliver at the Immigrant Council. But Mary, can I ask you a very simple question? And I'm not being funny here, but how do the people know who to trust in life? Um, I think it's a very difficult question, really, to address. That, I'm not you know, being smart, any... but if you lined a, a gang of people up along a road and the, the people were talking about, the people were trying to help, and now you're educating people that can help these people today, but how can they pick out someone that's not going to further abuse them or take advantage of them? Again, that question of how do you trust, when you make that first move and you're in this situation, how do you trust someone? Um, very often the first move that people make would be reaching out within their community if they are confident in doing that. And so we have worked both through this project and through other projects that the Immigrant Council has operated to develop um, leadership within those migrant communities and to develop referral pathways and to build capacity amongst voluntary organisations very often. Um, so that people within those communities know what, what services are available within both the kind of public and NGO sector in Ireland to refer people into and what are trusted and um, expert resources that can be available to people. Mm -hmm. Some of the projects we have worked on have been to facilitate um, certain communities bring their community members to us so that there is kind of a confidence building exercise taking place and it's both to help with kind of the cultural aspects as well as the linguistic aspects obviously around interpretation um, which can be a serious barrier to people just understanding who to trust and where to go for services. Are the majority of people who are causing this um, um, gender-based violence that we're talking about are the majority of them men? Um, the majority of the cases that we have dealt with have involved male perpetrators, but it's not to say that they're the only people who are perpetrating gender-based violence. It's well known that it's an issue that affects every community, every social group, every class, every religion, every ethnic background. Unfortunately, it's just the reality of human existence that um, when there are power differentials, they can play out negatively for many people. And today's meeting then of, of the interested parties that you've outlined earlier on to me, um, for today's meeting then, will they be given the extra tools to go out and identify if there's a major problem or if somebody's life is in danger, what next to do, which would be calling the Gardaí Shikona? 
Yeah, so what we have done as part of the project that we've been working on over the past two years that has led to this conference being held today is one part of that project has been to develop training and capacity building so that when service providers encounter issues that may be symptomatic of gender-based violence, that they are aware of the approach that they should take in addressing that, but that they're also aware of what we would call indicators that those things may be occurring. And so one of the things that we have developed is a toolkit. It will be available on our website. There are some published today in hard copy that are going to be available at the conference, but it's going to be an online resource. And it's it, it's not a kind of a how-to guide to address every single one of these issues, but it's a basic resource so that people can be aware of these issues as they may come across them in their work and also aware of the services and the steps that they can take to refer people on to expert organizations to ensure that the vulnerable migrants who are experiencing these issues get access to the supports that they need. Yeah, it's vitally important. I better let you go to that. Um, we could talk forever, Mary Henderson, on this because what, what one human being does to another human being, sometimes I'm flabbergasted by the, the um, conditions and what people do to other people. It's just not fair. Uh, but Mary Henderson... It absolutely from, isn't. No, it's not. No. And you know, that's why I say it was the majority of men. Like, we're all human beings and we all we all have a right to live our lives r- rather than in living in fear constantly. It's just not right. Um, but no no world is perfect in, in, in now so it isn't Mary Henderson thank you for joining us from the Immigrant Council of Ireland that's taking place in the Harbour Hotel today 10.30am until 4pm and we wish them every luck and every success with that Dear Keith my son-in-law was in A&E on Friday for 7 to 8 hours uh, with a crippling pain in his side and all they'd done was took bloods and gave him painkillers and sent him home at 1.30 the following morning He had to go to his own doctor again yesterday as it wasn't any better. He said that he needed, his doctor said he needed a scan and to see what the cause of the pain was. Uh, He was in A&E again yesterday for 10 hours and was standing up in the waiting room with the drip for five of them hours. Was sent home again last night at 1am and they never done the scan. It's unbelievable. And then you go on to say it's like a third world country. I don't know the ins and outs of that situation. I take it it's bona fide from there. Um, but God love the people um, if you were standing there for 10 hours God love them from there and uh, other calls coming in to us as well today we'll try and get through some of those fairly soon quick commercial break we're back just after these a very good morning to you Galway Tones in association with Tesco find our award winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie very good morning to you on this Monday morning. We're with you until uh, 12 midday. Uh, if you're listening to us abroad today, go on, text us, tell us where you're listening to us uh, today. To, it's, uh, so it's a 353 So if you're in the Canaries or Malaga or Spain or Dunmore or wherever you are, wherever you're listening to us online, let us know. Uh, today. Just because it's so damp and so dark out. Anyway, uh, community alert public meeting is taking place this evening in Abbey Lockmoy after a three year delay due to uh, COVID. Tom Quirk is chairperson of the Abbey Lockmoy Community Alert Group and he joins you on the line. Tom, morning to you. Morning, Keith, and thanks for allowing me on this morning just no. to mention about our meeting tonight. No bother, um, it's, it's been three, three it's years. Two days, o- two days over three years. It was the 11th of March I was on with you three years ago and 
we got word later that day that we had COVID cases in the village and we had to cancel the meeting so it never went ahead. I was just thinking, so, I was thinking of those days so it was over the weekend and how bizarre and how silly and how confining they were but we are where we are right now where's the meeting taking place can I ask you the meeting is in Abernock my community centre at 8pm tonight and what will you be addressing are there issues that you want to address uh, well Michael Walsh the guard of Michael Walsh the crime prevention officer for Galway is going to be in attendance and he's going to just talk to people about how they can help prevent crime taking place in their in their houses and also how they can help prevent their property being stolen like fire machinery and other we'll say implements and cares and things like that and how that can be reduced. And Jerry Costello from Munchen and Chira is also going to be in attendance. Um, we have a community text alert set up for a number of years, but at the minute we only have about 40 people on it and we would like to expand that to a greater number of people in the area. Why would there only be 40? I mean, sure, there, must be, there must be a couple of hundred people oh, there, there is. Basically, when we set it up, six, seven years ago, maybe more, we kind of had one or two from each station area, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so we just want to expand that to anyone that wants to join it, basically, and just to basically get it up and running properly. It's a very important um, piece to have a kind of a group um, text like that. So that it, it, if, it is indeed. If a fella comes into the village or he's in around the house or otherwise or somebody's yeah. found and they look a little bit dodgy, if that's put up on the uh, on the group WhatsApp, at least it alerts people just to be careful and to mind their property from there. Uh, that's it, that's it. And the guards can send out, uh, they send out text alerts as well to these groups when there's something in the greater area that they are being alerted to as well, like. So it is very helpful for people to keep an eye on the ground, like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And have you had problems in Abbey over this last not, year? Not really. No, we had a number of years ago, but there hasn't really been anything, thank God, in Twitchwood. There hasn't really been anything in the last number of years we're talking about. There's yeah, it's just, there's always an odd case going on or you get an odd text alert saying that there's a care spotted suspiciously doing this or doing that and in the area like but mm. in fairness we've been lucky enough. Thank God for that, yeah. But I mean, the 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 uh, theft, not just in Nebinagmore, that general area, of farm machinery, of tools, of tradesmen's mm. tools, all of that. I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's their livelihood. It is, yeah. But you see, I've I've an old theory that they're coming in from Dublin and elsewhere on the motorway. They have local knowledge, um, and you're right. It's their livelihood. It's their way of putting food on the table. But at the, at an awful yeah. at an awful cost to other people because once your house or your property is broken into, uh, it's very very difficult to look at it the same again. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with you, Keith. And I suppose as well now, I like if there's people in the joining villages and parishes that I want to attend, they're more than welcome. We're not going to be turning anyone away. Like, so if there's people, we'll say in Briarfield or Kilarerdon or Corrifin or Munavay, they want to come that maybe missed out on the meetings in their own area, they're they're more than welcome to to come and join us. Okay, so it's a, it's an open meeting for anybody in in, yes. in surrounding yes, areas indeed. as well. So eight o'clock uh, tonight is when it starts. How, how long will it run for? Do you reckon? Uh an hour. To, I don't intend to have it any much longer than an hour to an hour and a half. An hour to an hour and a half. Yes. So they'll be yeah. they'll be back on the road again, home by half past nine, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Listen. Well done. Let us know you got on and to keep in contact with us if we can help in any way. Uh, please do. Thank talk you very much. I, I hope that uh, the wonderful community that is Abbey Nogmoy uh, stay safe because they're a lovely bunch of people down there. Uh, but thank you Dee, for joining us uh, today on the programme. So that's Tom Quirk, chairperson of the Abbey Nogmoy Community Alert uh, Scheme. They're having that meeting uh, tonight at 8pm and uh, go along from there.
And now, though, let me just change all together. And I just want to go to do this and that. Um, I think some people in my column were surprised by all the work that we do, even while we're on here. Uh, but I want to uh, go to, excuse me, I want to go to, it's a sad story, but a lovely story, because pilgrims uh, will remember the Jesuit priest, Father uh, Michal McGreel, that uh, passed away, I think he passed away, in January, if I'm right there. But he was instrumental in maintaining a centuries-old tradition on the Mam Turks. And I'm joined uh, on the line by a number of people indeed. So I just want to bring them up here for me. Yeah, I'll just take them uh, straight away from there. And I'll just go from there and just do that. So I'm joined on the line by uh, Limin McNally, who is the Association of Catholic Priests Administering um, uh, Secretary, and Colin Morahali joins me as well. Uh, from West on Track. Uh, Colm, I'm going to go to you first off. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the uh, program. Again, um, Father Michal McGrail, he has left um, a massive legacy, but a lovely man. He was indeed. He was a very gregarious, friendly, happy sort of a man uh, who could have an argument with you and be friendly with you at the same time. And uh, he had a big heart. He loved children. Uh, he loved meeting people. There was nothing he liked better than coming into your house and sitting down and spending an hour and a half talking and having uh, sandwiches and tea or whatever was going in the house. Mm. He was that kind of a person. He was, to use the cliche, he was a people person. Yeah. And again, his passing has uh, left a legacy, as we said. Um, his passing yes. has left that legacy. Yes, his passing has left a legacy in many respects because... Uh, because of the nature that I've just described, he engaged with so many uh, groups and individuals and people uh, across a whole range of society. And he embraced so many causes. He was, um, as you know, he was a, the German, national chairman of the Pioneer Association, which was a cause he espoused because he believed that there was a lot of damage being done in society by alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a sociologist after all. And uh, he was also uh, invo- heavily involved with Pax Christi, was an envoy of theirs, uh, and was constantly seeking ways to resolve disputes and things, including the situation in the North. He was, um, obviously, he was uh, heavily involved in uh, regional development. This was one of his big things. Because he was a West of Ireland man, he was dismayed by the neglect, as he saw it, that he saw in the west of Ireland uh, from the centre, and he set out to mobilise people, as did his great friend and colleague, Monsignor Horn, in order to put in place the kinds of infrastructure that people would need in order to sustain them within their own region and that our young people would be able to live and work in the west and not have to be moving to Dublin or other parts or even going abroad. So he had that kind of a vision um, and, of course, there were numerous other strings to his bow. He was an academic, of course, and mm. uh, a writer. And uh, he, was a, he was just a man who lived the vocation that he had, which was to go out and do things for people and encourage people and bring people with him. Stay with, with me, if you don't mind. I want to go to Limi McNally, who joins you on the line, the line for the Association of Catholic Priests, and he joins you on the line. Uh, Limi, good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, Thanks for saying. Not at all, and we're going to be joined shortly indeed by Bishop uh, Fintan Monaghan as well. Um, but again, Maumain was a very big part of his life in Connemara. 
Maumain was central to him, really. He was the man who revived it. He was known as the guardian of Maumain. Maumain was a, a patrician pilgrimage site. They said that St. Patrick went up there and blessed the people and the area of Connemara from Maumain, which is the Pass of the Birds, right in the Mam Turk Mountains. Uh, th there are so many ways to get to it. There are about three or four ways you can get to it. But Maumain, it had a great history. It was like a pattern day um, for local people. And there are great stories surrounding it, that it always ended up in a little bit of a fracas between various sides of the mountain. And then it kind of fell into disrepute as a pilgrimage. But then over the years, like going back to the late 70s and 80s, uh, Michael McGrail then just tried to get it back on the map. And he did this so successfully with the help of a lot of people in the Tomb Diocese. And if you have Bishop Fintan Monaghan on, he'll tell you about that because he, he was the Bishop Secretary for a lot of that. And he was Michal's right-hand man in a lot of developing uh, Maumain. There's a lovely chapel up there now. There's an altar. There's the Stations of the Cross. There's the Bed of St. Patrick. And it has become a hugely popular pilgrimage three times a year. St. Patrick's Day. Good Friday, and then the first Sunday of August, which is really the first Sunday after the Cropatrick pilgrimage, which is always the last Sunday in July. So there are three pilgrimage, official pilgrimage days, but a lot of people go up there themselves throughout the year, just as they do in Cropatrick, just climbing it for their own satisfaction or mm. as part of their own little spiritual journey. But Michal was responsible for putting Maumain back on the map. And I'm happy to say, I don't know if Fintan will say it later on, that in Kilmilkin Church on his birthday, which is the 23rd of March, that they're launched, they're going to erect a little plaque just to honour him as the guardian of uh, Maumain and getting Maumain. it back on the map again. Stay with you if you don't mind. Um, Bishop Fintan um, Monaghan joins us uh, from Ennis. Um, Bishop um, Fintan, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us uh, today. You worked very close. Good to talk to you. You can have this vote in a few years. Um, you worked very closely with uh, Father Michal McGrail. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, Keith, as I was saying on the nationwide programme last week, uh, you'd invariably get the call in advance of St. Patrick's Day and then again uh, Good Friday and uh, also just around Reek Sunday he'd be making arrangements for it and he was absolutely full of enthusiasm right to the very last year of his life when he was in his 90s at that stage and he was like a, a child with a, with a new gift he was so enthusiastic with it every single year and uh, loved to promote it and uh, it, it combined two really things a very spiritual pilgrimage and also a love of the Irish language as well, I think, yeah. which he was passionate about, and he insisted that the ceremonies would be done as Gael get there. So two major loves of his life, church and faith, spirituality, and also the Irish language were combined in that wonderful pilgrimage. Colin O'Reilly was uh, mentioning there the likes of um, Father Horn, indeed, and, and Knock, and now we're talking about um, the likes of um, um, Father Michal McGreal. Are, are there any... Are there any priests or bishops like that anymore? Well, he was certainly unique, uh, um, as, as far as I can think out. He was, he was so unusual. Uh, he was uh, conservative and he was liberal at the same time. And he appealed to people right across generations as well. Mm. And uh, Leamy said something very interesting on the um, Nationwide programme last week, that justice was really his middle name. And he espoused anywhere he saw any level of injustice that was being carried out, whether it was uh, uh, the homeless, whether it was the poor uh, travellers, he was passionate about fighting for their rights. Uh, 
um, you know, people uh, that were struggling in terms of gender, you name it, right across the board. And even things that are way outside what you would normally regard as the mainstream things the church would be associating with. But uh, he was absolutely unique, you're right. And, uh, you know, Tomaso Crifan, the Antilonach, used to say, Nivai or Lehejerishtan. And that's certainly the case with Michal. The, the mold was broken when he when he came came to be, and uh, I, I, it'd be hard to replace all the um, the interests and efforts that he made in so many areas. So, will there be and Limi and um, Colm, you're there as well. Will, will there be um, a celebration on St Patrick's Day this coming Friday uh, on Maumean? Oh, absolutely, but Finton might have the details of it. But yeah, oh, it's going ahead. It's on this Friday. Yeah. And Bishop Finton, is is yourself saying the Mass? Well, I, I would assume it's going ahead. You see, the, the fact now that I'm down in, in a different eyes, I, I was, <laughs> Michal had appointed me as a successor and he was kind of not not at all impressed that I was appointed to another diocese, you see. <laughs> and it is a part of the tomb diocese. Yeah. It's, it's very unique because it splits two parishes right down the middle. You have Leenan on one side and you have Roundstone on the other so it's in the tomb diocese. But Father Francis, who is the diocesan uh, secretary, had been uh, looking after things for the last few years. And I'd be surprised if Francis wasn't there, because as you might imagine, the, the parades and everything will be on down in down in Edison. Uh, it would be very much part of that. But um, a good Friday then is another huge day there, and also it's Sunday after week Sunday. And uh, I always make a serious effort to get there because it's in the middle of the afternoon, and you'd have your your own liturgies and masses covered at that stage. Mm. So um, I'm sure it, his legacy will continue there for many years. Uh, please God. And Limi, can I ask you just in relation to getting to Maumein, I've, I've seen all the signs, I've never been, shame on me. Uh, what is the easiest route to get to Maumein? <laughs> the great answer to that, Keith, is it depends where you're leaving from. <laughs> well, I'll go anywhere as long as it's the easy route. <laughs> well, I know I know the way I go. I mean, I'm, I'm coming from Westport, so I go out to Leenan and shoot across then to Mam, and then on, you, you cross back over the N59 again, and there's a, there's a little sign there that says Maumain, and I follow the sign that it's the shortest way to walk. It brings me right up basically to the, to the base of the mountain. You can park your car there and you just walk away then. You know, but there are other ways. There are people that come from, oh, I think there are three different routes to it. Mm. There are three different routes because don't forget, as as Finton said, it's it's between two parishes. So people used to come from literally from both sides, and on one side there were there were two routes. So they came from both sides to meet in the middle. That was the traditional pattern. But it is it is sign, it is well signposted for anybody going out there. Well signposted. You see the little sign for Maumain. You mean you haven't told, you haven't told me what's the easiest way on my on my heart? I'm talking about the physical <laughs> trauma on my system. Uh, all I know is all I know all I know is the way I go. I go out and I follow the signs from Ma'am, and it takes me then it takes me ah oh, it takes me about an hour then to climb up. Yeah, it'll over an hour maybe to climb up. That's all. Yeah. But you're, you're you're a thin Westport man, uh, Bishop Finton. How yeah, how would you, how, how would you suggest a fella gets to to Maumee in the easiest way and survives it and doesn't have to call Air Sea Rescue? From, from my, oh, it's very straightforward from Galway or Mike Cullen, where you're based, Keith. You just go straight through Durard and into Mam Cross. And instead of turning right there at Mam Cross, continue straight on along the Clifton Road. And about eight kilometres beyond the Mam Cross cross, there is a, a very clearly marked sign on me. And you go down there about three or four kilometres. And there's a fairly extensive car park there. You know, buses even can, can turn and that. 
and uh, you know, very nice climb up. It's only about twenty minutes, half an hour, depending on how fit you are. So it's only about one third the size of of Crookpatrick in terms okay. of effort and that. So very accessible for people, even if 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 one isn't terribly fit, it's it's still very manageable and very doable. And uh, a very spiritual pilgrimage and well worth well worth uh, venturing. Okay, that's this weekend's project. So it is then to get to the top of Moamein and get down to life, which is the most important thing of it. Just coming back then to um, Father McGrail, um, Lemi, how can people celebrate his life? If um, just what would you be suggesting over this um, St Patrick's weekend? Well, I see to, to celebrate Michael McGrail's life, I always say, is if Michael McGrail was a very spiritual man. He was a great priest, Keith. He never, ever, like, compromised his priesthood. And I would visit him once a week in his little cottage in Loch Loon. And always when you went in, he'd be starting or finishing the breviary, whatever the prayers were for the day. And then he'd have a list of people he was intercessing for, people he was praying for. People came to him all the time asking him for their prayers, whether it was to say Mass or the Rosary or the Breviary or to do the pilgrimage or anything like that. He had a great, he had a great faith in, in, in the role of the priest as the intercessor and the okay. shepherd. And I think if people want to acknowledge him, I would always say, just take time out, go into a, a church, wherever it is, and just light a candle in his honour and take a moment for him. That's the way I would always <coughs> recommend to people just to honour the likes of Michael McGrail. He just—he was a great priest, a great intercessor for his people. All right, uh, Limi, thank you for joining us. Uh, Bishop Finton, uh, enjoy St. Patrick's Day and thanks for taking our call today. Good to talk to you again. And finally to you, Colm O'Reilly, you've, you've, you've been listening to what's been said. Uh, and again, we just have to remember all the positives and uh, just remember him in prayer. Yes, indeed, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, Finton and, and Leamy have spoken so eloquently there about the the charisma that the man had, um, <clears throat> and he conveyed that to everybody that he met. Um, one thing that he was immensely proud of, as you know, was his involvement with reopening the Western Rail Corridor and uh, the massive success of Phase 1, which has become the fastest-growing railway in the country, as you know, and went up by 14.4% last year. Uh, between Limerick and Galway. Mm. Uh, there's going to be major improvements on that line now in the coming months. And he was very happy about that. And he was delighted and anticipating, but unfortunately didn't get to see um, the imminent uh, reopening of the railway between Mayo and Galway, which will connect uh, the towns of Mayo with Galway City and with Limerick, and which will allow rail freight to travel down the west. This was a passionate uh, cause of Father Michal because he believed that connectivity was the soul of economic development and that part of our decline in the West was due to the fact that we were all being isolated one yeah. from the other. Yeah. And his, uh, the last time I spoke to him, uh, which was in December, shortly before he died in Castle Bar, he also spoke about the connection of uh, Sligo, the remainder of the railway to Sligo, which he believed was an essential part of the development of the region as well. And <clears throat> I think the way we can honour him is by continuing and ensuring that ultimately the entire Western Rail Corridor will be reopened. And in that respect, um, we're very encouraged by uh, the developments that we believe are imminent now. And we think that his vision one day will be fulfilled and people will look back and say, well, here was a man, no more than Monsignor Horn, who 
gave it everything for his own people. And hopefully that uh, the people and the generations to come will benefit from the vision that he had. And across the whole uh, spectrum of his life and activities, we see a man who dedicated himself to others okay. and who gave leadership and inspired others. And I think that's a lovely message for people to hear at a time when there's so much negativity in the world. Absolutely. Colin Morali, thank you for joining us uh, today, West on Track. Uh, Liam, Liam McNally uh, from the Association of Catholic Priests and Bishop Finton Monaghan, thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Quick commercial break. There's a crisis meeting when it comes to farming next. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme. Keith Finnegan with you until 12 midday. Now, though, heading to Carrick on Shannon, the ICSA are to host a, a sheep sector crisis meeting in Carrick on Shannon. Sean McNamara, who's the ICSA's uh, sheep chair, joins me on the line uh, today. Sean, good morning to you. Listen to me, you're having a, an, an emergency crisis meeting in Carrick on Shannon. Uh, we are, yeah. Wh- what is the problem with sheep, can I ask you, Sean? Uh, the biggest problem is the price. That's the biggest problem. At the moment, oh, we're able to get top of six fifty. Farmers are losing about thirty euros a lamb, and that's the biggest problem with the cost of inputs and all. Like inputs is up by a third since last year, and the price of sheep is down by a third. So we're losing two thirds at the moment. But I, I've asked this from people before. It's it's no cheaper in the supermarket or the butchers. I prefer butchers rather than supermarkets to buy my meat. Um, but so where's the money going? Then who's making the money on this one, Sean? Well, the way I look at it, it's, uh, it's the retailers and the factories that's making the money. Um, like, we're the worst price in, in Europe on sheep. Like, not compared to England, but compared to the rest of Europe, we're two euros a kilo under any part of Europe. So, um, like, you go into a Dunn store, or we won't mention Dunn's, or any of the supermarkets, I'm sure it's, it's 18 and 19 euros a kilo, and it's getting 650. Like, someone is making it in between, like, you know, the retailer and the factories that's making it. They do, but I mean, is there is is there not a thing called fair trade that everybody makes a little bit as it goes along that chain? Well, that's what you'd be thinking that everyone should make a little bit. But as far as I can see, in the last year, the supermarket or the factories are getting more greedier, and they want to get their caught. And then we have we're marking our lamb bad. That's the way I look at. Uh, we're marking body isn't marking our lamb right. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you have a, you have a number of areas on this one. So you have the farmer that rears mm-hmm. the sheep, then you've got the cattle dealer that buys the sheep, then you've got the yeah. factory that buys um, the sheep and uh, kill kill them out from there. And give it one, two, three, four, five. You nearly have six different people pulling out of the one carcass. Yeah. And they're all yeah, making money, you're saying, except the farmer. Oh, yeah, they're all making money, but the biggest problem is the man that's producing the product isn't making money, or the man that's fattening, we say the man that bought the whole lamb is fattening, he's a waste, he's saying, like, he's losing money. That's the problem. And, like, I can see it's going to be like the beef industry, it's going to just, just disappear, like, you're not going to get young people to go into farming, go into sheep farming anymore, and that's it, they can't. So, but you're living for them anymore. Would it be fair to say, though, that sheep are low-maintenance as against horses or cattle? Well, now you can't eat horses, uh, but as against cattle? I wouldn't say that. Now, I am feeding lambs at the moment now. You call low-maintenance. Um, they're costing me uh, uh, one twenty a day in meal. So that's not low-maintenance. Feed them for eight weeks and you can make out your... What, you're out. You're out at least 50 euros a lamb feeding them to finish them. So 
I don't call that low maintenance. I know you might say the old low maintenance, but like if you take all your costs, a dose and a dip and then all the different things that we done with them and um they're not low maintenance. Like like this thing of getting back hundred and thirty euros while I'm hundred and thirty two euros. Not worth a damn, like you know what I mean? You'd want to be getting at least uh one seventy or eight to make anything out with you. But would you not then just go out of it altogether? Well, sure, I mean, that's what's happening a lot. I mean, they're going out of it. A lot of men is getting older and they're, 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 they're going out of it. Like, there's no boy finding the nine. I see one man beside me. He's as good as she found as you laid your eyes in. He's 64 years of age. And last week he decided he's going to set the land and get out of it because he can't make a viable income out of it. So that's all. And he's no youngster to take it up. They won't take it up because there's nothing to be made out of it. Mm. But then, do we, get, do we want to give it of a cheap industry? Do we want to just let it disappear like the bees and everything else? We don't because it's a very integral part. But so is lamb of our of and our and fish, and smoked fish. It's a very integral part of our turnover and our exports as well. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's worth four hundred and fifty million in exports, uh, lamb. And um, but like unless things improve, unless like it's costing. There's no point in it. It's costing seven thirty a kilo to produce lamb. And we're expected no one is up from what it was. It was six years there. Uh, we're expected to take um, six fifty at the moment. So, like, carry his things down right away, right away. So, like, that's eighty twenty is sixty euros eighty. Uh, it's it's nearly twenty euros there right away. Okay, down right away. We won't solve it today. What time is the meeting, and where's what time is the yeah, meeting? Meeting is on the day at clock. Like every farmer to come to it, I want to hear the opinion of every farmer. Like, I have my own opinions. Mine might be right. Eight o'clock, eight o'clock tomorrow eight o'clock, night yeah, in the Bush Hotel uh, in Carrington. Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday week. Yeah. Tomorrow week. T- tomorrow week, sorry, the 24th, sorry. Yeah, and uh, taking place in the Bush Hotel from there and you'll be looked after. Yeah, like ask every farmer to come to it because it's a very important okay. meeting. We have to discuss what we're going to do, whether, what way we're going to face this and that's it. All right, listen, thanks for joining us uh, today on the meeting. Now, a little bit of music for you. It's time for some music and it's part of the Irish Music Month with thanks to Hot Press, the IBI, and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision. It's time to hear a beautiful song from one of our four finalists, Sonny Casey. At 17, Sonny found her voice while busking and playing open mics around Ireland. After a brief stint at art college, she left to follow her dream of busking and gigging her way around Europe. And this song, which she produced in Studio One here, is called... The Garden. Hi, it's Neil Malloy here from Goway Bay FM and as part of Irish Music Month, we're delighted to introduce one of our four finalists in the search for the local hero. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Sonny Casey. Hi, Sonny. Hello, Neil. How are you? I'm very well. So listen, tell us all about Sonny Casey and more importantly, your music. So I'm a musician from Goway. I grew up in Connemara and when I was 17, I started busking in Goway on Shop Street. And since then, I travelled around, busking around Europe, moved to Berlin for a bit, and now I've moved back home to Galway. So, music has always been an incredible part of your life. You got to travel 20 different countries busking, but now you're back home in Galway and Connemara, and you're working on a brand new album. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, um, my producer, Rodan Fisher, we recorded it in Connemara in December. Now we're just, like, putting the finishing touches on it with the other musicians, and going to release the first song at the end of the year. October, September. Well, we're going to be looking forward to that. So, listen, we'd love to get a song from you. So what song are you going to do for us today? I'm going to sing a song called The Garden. Okay, so this is Sonny Casey with The Garden.
So if you want to get further details on this, go to our website, goldwaybfm.ie and get further details there. Well done to uh, Sonny for coming into studio and being part of the four finalists. We'll play that again later in the week. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie.